Well, praise God. Y'all glad to be in church? Okay, I have a word I'm going to preach to you this morning. I, I don't know any, I don't, I don't know if I'm lost it. And uh, it's probably the most dangerous message I've ever preached in my life. You'll figure it out here in just a minute. And, um, but about eight months ago, six, eight months ago, the Lord started dealing with me in my personal life. And, you know, sometimes God, he speaks to me, it's just in my personal life, and it's about, you know, something I need to change or adjust, and he shows me in the word, and then other times it's, you know, I know it's for the church and to preach to y'all. And so I got this word, and, and, and what was happening to me, and I'll just tell you the story so you know where it's coming from. Um, I, you know, I began to get caught up in all the stuff going on in the world and, and become critical and become, you know, consumed with stupid things people are doing that they ought to know better. And uh, so I was talking about it all the time, whether it was just in myself, you know, I'd hear something on the radio and I'd just, you know, say, I can't believe they did that. And da, 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 you know, how could they do that? And I just, I was going on to myself. Then sometimes it splashed over on my wife. And, and then I tried to, you know, I tried to you know, I know it wasn't right, but you know how it is. You just get frustrated, right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Don't leave me hanging that I'm the only person that ever did this in life. And so the Holy Spirit began to just, just show me that I was, you know, like you can't, you can't live like this. You can't do this because it's hurting your walk. You've got to stay focused. You've got to stay positive. You've got to stay in, in, in what God's doing. And so... I said, well, okay, then you got to show me. you got to teach me, and you got to show me because, you know, I'm kind of a reactionary person. I see something, and then, you know, I react. And so I said, you got to teach me. you got to help me. And so I definitely by no means have it down. I will admit it. But I'm better than I was eight months ago, okay? And so um, as, as the Lord took me through this and started showing me the error that I was making, I didn't really think this was for y'all. And then, oh, I don't know, about a month or two ago, the Lord started saying, okay, now you've got, a, you, you've got enough knowledge here of what's right, so now you need to share with the church. And I thought, well, Lord, this is, you know, they don't, they're not going to like me when I preach this message. And then I started hearing, like, come across YouTube videos of other preachers, and they were preaching along the same lines. And I said, see, this must be something that you're trying to get out to the body of Christ. You're trying to help us. So then the Lord explained to me why. So I need to tell you why before we get into this. And he just, he just began to, to, to speak this in my heart. So I could be wrong, all right, because I can't give you that what the Lord said to me is here in the Word. It is of the Word, but I'm just saying I might be wrong, but I sure don't think I am. That in the next 14 months, and I'm not much about putting dates on things, and you know, I'm not making this even an actual official prophecy, okay? I'm just saying in about the next 14 months, you, we're going to see things happen in earth that are going to be more difficult times in our life than we've ever seen before, right? Let me just tell you a few crazy things that are going to take place. You know that in October... We have the eclipse coming up here. That Vanderpool is the epicenter of the the eclipse, and you know they're talking about people coming up here 
that we could be in the range of anywhere from could be a rainy day, bless God. Clouds in the sky, nobody shows up. But they're talking that it could be 30, 40, 50,000 people show up. And then in April is the real big one that they're talking about. They're going to determine from what happens in October to what happens in April. And uh, they're talking, you know, it could be double whatever October was. People coming in here. I don't know if you can think of the, the wreck it could be around here with 50,000 people showing up in Utopia. But then it brings out a certain group of people also who are not of God, who, you know, are just not right. Okay? So we have those issues. We got an election coming up. Now, if any of you have watched any news, have you ever seen a time like this that we have in the United States where, well, the craziness going on, okay? So we've got that coming up. And I just feel in my heart that we as the church, okay, I'm not preaching doom and gloom here. I've got the good news that I'm going to share with you. Because what's happening is, is I believe the world is going to begin into more turmoil. I saw a report yesterday that said, not, it's not by numbers, but it's that there's, there is an, over half of the world is on fire. Not like the amount of acreage, but over half of the world has some kind of a forest fire, something horrible like we just saw happen in Maui. A fire raging, Canada, they're all over, all over South America. When you see the, the places where they all are, it's just unbelievable. The other half of the world has got flooding like they've never seen before. Crazy flooding, flooding in places where it's never flooded before. We've got volcanoes, we've got earthquakes, we've got all kinds of things going on. I say the earth is moaning and groaning for the coming of the Lord. That's what I say. But there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on, right? And I just feel in my heart that with all the crazy going on, it's time that the church lets God arise in their heart and their spirit and that the church begins to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that he's called us to be. And that we see more miracles, we see more great things, we see God moving more than we've ever seen before. We enter into a phase of life that our relationship with God is so on fire that we're just seeing answers to prayers, we're seeing people coming to the Lord, we're seeing all kinds of things glorious happening. Amen? That's what I believe we're going to see. But if we're going to get there, we got to get on track as Christians. All right, we got to get on track and we got to make sure we're on the right path. All right, so what I'm going to share with you today is something that could be getting you off track. And I want to show you how if you have gotten off track, to get back on track. So it's a positive message. Amen. So what I want you to do, there's no snakes in these baskets. But there's something in there. And I want everybody, there's enough here for everybody I don't care if, you know, like you send one up here and gets, there's, but everybody needs one of these in their hands, so come get them. Get however many you need. <laughs> now, for those of you that already have one, keep them in your hand. Do not throw them. <laughs> Yeah. 
Hey, you know, I was raised in the 70s, and so um, I don't know how many of y'all in here remember the Pet Rocks. I actually was researching that the guy that came up with that, he was just some hippie and went down to Mexico and saw these rocks, picked them up, thought, isn't that cute? In the first month, he sold $100,000 worth of pet rocks. The thing took off. He, he was smart. He marketed them right in, the, in, in, in the, the early fall, and it took off, and everybody wanted one, and by Christmas, he was a millionaire on pet rocks. Well, now you've got a pet rock. How many of y'all, you grew up, listen, and you remember your parents always hollering at you, don't throw rocks, right? How many times do you have to tell our kids, put those rocks on, don't throw rocks. On the playgrounds, stop, stop throwing rocks, right? I remember one day that, uh, I don't know, I was probably 16, 17 years old, and we were, we were in the registered limousine cattle business, and, and uh, we had some pretty high-dollar cows, and there was a man there that was like, he'd been over to France and he was world-renowned on knowing everything about the breed and the bloodlines and all this kind of stuff. And he was there and he was a cowboy guy and, and uh, we're trying to get this cow into the pen and she wouldn't go and I reached down, picked up a rock and I, I did just like that and went to throw and he grabbed my hand. And he said, son, put that rock down. And I was, you know, I wasn't saved, and I was pretty feisty, and I was like, now, what are you doing, old man? No, take my hand. He's probably younger than I am now, but anyway. And he said, I was in a cattle pen two weeks ago, one of the highest dollared cows in the limousine business, and a young man reached down, picked up a rock, flicked it over there to that cow. I said, didn't throw it hard, just flicked it over there, and she turned and looked, and that thing hit her right between the eyes, and he dropped her dead right in the pen. And I said, oh. That's a pretty good point. So from that day on, I never threw a rock at a good cow. So I'm going to talk to you this morning's message, don't, don't throw rocks. All right, so let's go read this. John chapter 8, verse 2. I, and I just can guarantee you at the end of this message, you're going to be happy. It's going to be a little painful in the beginning, and then it's going to get good. John 8, 2. It says, now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had her, set her in the midst and they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Now just stop for a second. Just think about this. They throw this poor woman down. Where's the man? That's what I always want to know. Where's he? So they had this woman. They threw her down. They said they caught her in the very act. Well, how did they know something was going on? It was a setup. Y'all with me? And so they said, and this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. So they really didn't care about the woman having an affair. They didn't really care about whatever commandment had been broken. They were doing this manipulating to get Jesus so they could have something to say against Jesus. Right? But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, 
He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, being with the oldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in his midst. When Jesus had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are your accusers? And has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What a beautiful ending, right? Looks tragic. I think being stoned would be a, a pretty rough way to go. All right? And so I chose small stones here for y'all today because I didn't want y'all to throw anything too big if you get mad at me in this message and start throwing. I'm hoping I can dodge behind the pulpit. But anyway, I've heard this said. Again, this is not in the Bible. I just heard it said that what Jesus wrote on the ground was the sins of those men. You know, he wrote Motel 6, room 42. <laughs> And somebody looked at the, oh, you, that was when I was in last week, you know. I don't know. I don't know what he was writing. It doesn't tell us. But you, you can kind of see if Jesus, it said he started writing and he was, you know, I don't know how he did it. He was on his knees or whatever. He bent down and he's writing in the sand or whatever. Why is he writing in the sand? It didn't say he's doodling. It literally says he's writing in the sand. He's writing something. He could have been writing scripture. I don't know, but he's writing something. But he's in, he's, it says that he's so enthralled in writing that he doesn't even look up to see that the guy's all left. You following me? He then says he looks up and there's nobody standing there and he looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? Like he did so, so ingrained in this thing that he didn't even notice that they all got convicted in their hearts and left. So, I've been preaching along these lines of positioning ourselves for the end times. And, and so, this is what the Lord started dealing with me, throwing rocks. He started dealing with me about, about getting angry at, at, you know, government officials, other things going on, and sitting around saying, talking about them, even though they're wrong. There's no question they're wrong. Hello? But I'm putting life to it, and I'm throwing stones, okay? <clears throat> so I, the Lord, the first thing he began to show me was that my life was going to be influenced by either the devil or him, God. That's it. My life was going to be influenced by what path I chose to walk in, and how I choose to walk that path. And if I choose the path of love, that's God's path, then he would be influencing my life. And if I chose the path of this world, the moment I threw the stone, I brought the curse back in my life. Now, so, you know, when that, when that, when I picked up that stone to throw at that cow, it was about that big. It was a little one. And that imagery came back in my mind because I could still walk to the ranch this day and point at it and say, this is where I was going to throw that stone. And when I did this, he caught my hand. 
And, it, and then the Holy Spirit used that. And he said, that's what I'm trying to do to you. I'm trying to get you to don't throw. And drop it. And walk in love. And I said, and then I said, yeah, Lord, but they're wrong. And he said, that's my business. That's my business. I need you to pray. I need you to pray is what I need you to do. I need you to get in the right path here and pray. And you can if you're over here out of the path of love and walking in the path and being influenced by the devil. I heard a preacher say the other day that once you start throwing stones, he said it a little differently, I'm paraphrasing what he said. He said, once you start throwing stones, you start hearing voices that are not of God. And I thought, man. You know how you always saw the cartoons where the little devil was on one shoulder and angel on the other, right? I mean, literally that's what's taking place is what's going to influence you. And the minute you start to throw stones then what happens is you get back out of the path. You take yourself off the course that God has for you. Take yourself out of the narrow path and go back into the wide path that leads to destruction. Right? So let's look at something. Go look over at 1 Corinthians 13.1. 1 Corinthians 13.1. I'm going to pick my rock up before I step off the stage and trip on it. Twist my ankle. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If you're getting married in a wedding, this is a great scripture. Oh, everybody wants this in their wedding. <clears throat> if God's speaking to you because you've gotten off the path, nobody wants to read this one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass. Or a clanging symbol, as though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Now you would say right off the bat, now come on, Lord. If a man gave all of his goods to feed the poor, I mean, that'd be a good thing. He'd be doing a good thing. He said, well, if you don't have love with it, it's nothing. Love suffers long. How long's long? Depending on how much you don't like to suffer, then you limit long. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, does not seek its own, is not provoked. <laughs> oh, come on. Man, that'll make your toes curl up in your boots, won't it? Is not provoked. Come on, surely you can't mean that. Thanks, no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Here we go. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. 
endures all things. His love never fails. Wow. When you read that, and then we think about our lives, and we think about our reactions, and we think about our judgment upon people and our, our, our complaining coming out of our mouth, we realize how far we are from 1 Corinthians 13. Okay? But what's really funny about it is that when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, there's no place where you can find justification for throwing a rock. You see, yeah, but they're wrong. I even tried this one. Yeah, but Lord, even David slew Goliath with a rock. And it was just like the Holy Spirit said to me, yeah, you, look at you. Look at you. You're just trying to work around the system here. You're just looking. And I said, yeah, you know, you know we've got to have a few rocks to throw, you know, because you might run across a giant. Because you see, in love and walking in love, there never gets to be a place where you can say, well, yeah, I know, but I was justified in doing it because they weren't walking in love. Well, wait a minute, you can't do that because we're under the guidelines of walking in love. And so we've got to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things. We've got to, well, wait a minute, we, we, there's no place that it gets to where you can say, all right, now you can throw the stone. You can't do it. Only way you can do it, the only way you can do it is if you set yourself up as the righteous judge. The most dangerous person is a Christian that sets themselves up as self-righteous. Because see, if you're self-righteous, you're not looking to the righteousness of God and the righteousness by the blood of Jesus. You're self-righteous, then therefore you're setting the guidelines. You've put yourself in the position of God. That means you're the prosecutor, you're the jury, you're the judge, and you are the executioner. That's why you can throw a rock. But it's based on your set of standards. That means you're self-righteous. You say, well, I'm not self-righteous. It's wrong. I need a rock thrown at them. Well, if 1 Corinthians 13 is the rule, then how can you justify that? You can't. We can't. There's no place you're ever going to find that you can step back and throw a rock. So automatically we stop and we think, Okay, now, Lord, but wait a minute. What if it's false doctrine? Well, the Bible says rebuke it. You're still following truth. The Bible talks about if a person comes in the house and they're in your house and they're, they're, they've got uh, false doctrine going on, that you should tell them to leave and get out and separate yourself from that person. It says you shouldn't be unequally yoked. There are certain things in the walk of Christianity Following truth means you separate yourself from it, but it never gives us the right to throw stones. It gives us the right to separate and say, I can't walk with you because you're not following God. You're not following truth. But it never gives us the right to step up and say, yeah, you're caught in the very act. <laughs> you need a good knock upside the head. It never gives us the right to do that because love says we've got to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things. We've got to look at the person and still love them, but we may have to separate ourselves from them. Are you all with me? You're following me on this. Love doesn't mean you're a doormat. Love doesn't mean you just sit there and take it. Love means there comes a time you have to separate yourself from it. Hello? Look at Matthew 7. 
verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Judge not that you may not be judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. I want to read that again. Judge not that you will not be judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. <laughs> ah, now we got a problem. Because we can't throw a rock, because if we threw a rock, then the person we threw the rock at says, oh, okay, so the measure you use, it'll be measured back at you, so now a rock can be thrown at you. So I think Christians have set themselves up a whole lot in the world. We're just professional rock throwers. And we're just hurling one rock at them. They're hurling a rock back at us. And the whole time trying to, you know, say we're Christians. What I'm trying to say to you is that what's coming up on the earth is something that wants to take you out and get you off the path of God. And if we don't stay in the path of God, we're going to miss God. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to miss God. I got too much invested in, in, in serving him that I'm going to miss him at the end. And then he says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at a plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly and remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Because this moment we enter into judgment upon others, then it, we're stepping off ground and then it's going to be measured back unto us. That's why I, I have a conversation with either, either Brother Ivan or, or Pastor Wynn or, or Sister Annie. Every week I talk to them. I talk about what's going on. They're my accountability. I speak to them. Things that are happening, things that are going on, they, they're there to help me say, hey, Robert, watch, you might, you, I, think there's a, I think you've got a splinter in your eye. That's what it's about. That's why I've got a board around here that keeps me straight. I've got people around me that do that because it's easy to, to, to get into the place that you want to throw a rock and you're not seeing it. Like I told you, Matthew 7 says it's the narrow path. It's the narrow path that we've got to stay on. Narrow path, man, we can get off, right? It's a narrow path. And so it's not easy to do this because what it takes is we have to look at ourselves and examine ourselves because he says, look at the plank in your own eye, right? Not the, the speck that's in your brother's eye. Look at the plank in your own eye. So that means we have to do self-examinations. We have to take our hearts out, look at it, and see if it's right. And we usually don't like doing that because we don't like to kill our flesh. It's so much easier just to be right all the time. Can I have an Amen. It is easy if you're just right all the time. Then you don't have to kill your flesh. You're just right. And what happens is when you get off the path, if you get off the path so far, you can't find back the path because it's a small path. So here's the good news. There is a way to get out of this. There is a way that you will make sure you will never, ever pick up a stone. You may be tempted you may look and say, man, that is a nice throwing rock. But you'll put it down. And I want to show you what the way is, okay? The only way 
to keep yourself on track is to become desperate for Jesus. I asked my wife to sing that song. We haven't sang it in a long time. We used to sing it all the time. It's an old song, but I'm desperate for you. Because it, it, it's saying what, what, my, what I feel the, the, the Lord is speaking to me. Because we have to become in a place where we are desperate for Jesus. What does it mean to be desperate? Well, there's a lot of people that are, get desperate for Jesus, but only when they're in a problem. Right? They never pray, never read their Bibles, never talk to Jesus, never have any relationship, never have any fellowship. But then when things are going south, oh, man, then they're looking. And then as things get better, then they quit. Desperate means that you realize that you cannot exist outside of Jesus. Now, I used to ask the Lord a lot, why did you call me to this position and put me in the ministry? Because I don't like it. I didn't ask for it. Um, I don't think it's fair. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord any day. And one day I said that to another preacher friend, and he laughed. He said, Robert, don't you know Jesus had to call you into the ministry because there's no way to keep you straight if you weren't having to be there all the time, and God knew that. I said, well, I don't know. Maybe you're right. But I can say this, because of the position I'm in, it has caused me to be desperate for Jesus because I know I have nothing to say to you in the power of Robert Richards. I have no wisdom to give you in my flesh. I, I'm, I, I, I failed at things. I don't have any, any wisdom to tell you all of great understanding of how you do something. If I don't have Jesus and the anointing of God on me and taking his word and being able to speak it to you in some way that you can understand it and grab it, I have nothing. So I'm desperate for the Lord because I realize that if I ever get to this pulpit to preach and there's no anointing, I'm doomed. That's the day I'll do the mic drop and walk off. Because I'm not trying to pull this thing off in my flesh. There's no way. There's no way. I've had too many times that I have that people have been in, in a bad place and they come to me for advice. And I just freak out. I'm like, I got nothing to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to say what I would do, Lord. And he said, Would you just be quiet? Listen to me. I'll tell you what to say. Not him. I got nothing to say. But desperation. What desperation does is it, it, it makes you totally dependent. It makes you become the servant and he truly the master. It makes you have to fall down and you say, Lord, I can't do this without you. I cannot exist without you. You see, you don't want a relationship with God where you say, look, okay, Lord, I can handle the work and I can handle the business and I can handle the finances and, you know, but I got to have you help me with my wife and with the kids and, you know, and keeping myself straight. No, no, no. It's not that. It's not that at all. It's not, it's not bartering with the Lord about let him take care of some things and you're going to take care of others. No, it's you falling on your face at all times saying, Lord, I can't even make it to town. 
I need you to help me buy groceries. I need you to, 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 to be there with me through everything I'm going through in life. Because if I don't have you, it's not going to work out. I'm not going to be able to love my husband. I'm not going to be able to love my children like I should. John 7.36. No, excuse me, Luke 7.36. Let's look at this desperate person. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and they went to the Pharisee's house, and they sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat down at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him and wept and began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, they spoke to him saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she's a sinner. And then Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain collector that had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing on which to, to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them would love him more? And Simon answered, said, well, I suppose the one on whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Wow, what a story. I mean, here Jesus has called all the religious leaders out. and said, this woman over here, man, she loves me more than you do. What a put down. I'm sure they were real excited about that. Because they said, this woman who touches you is a sinner. But Jesus said, she's loved much. Because she realizes how much she's been forgiven. And folks, I don't know if you've looked at yourself lately. Were you forgiven much? Or were y'all all pretty good, perfect people? Pretty much had it all down. And probably would have made the cut in heaven anyway. Remember, Jesus said if you're guilty of one sin, you're guilty of them all. So what keeps you desperate for the Lord is you have to have the revelation of how much you've been forgiven. See, I know I'm not right. I know I don't do everything right. I know that, that there's all kinds of things that, that I could do to improve. I'm working on some. Some I look at and say, I don't think there's no chance there, Lord. But it's up to Him. But I'm always looking, okay? And I realize that there is no way I'm going to make it without Him. There was no way I was going to make it. There was no way I could be righteous. No way I was going to. No way. I did not stand a chance. Now, maybe I'm blessed at that because I know where I stood with the mark of perfection. You all with me? So I love him so much because I'm in the family. 
and I'm going to heaven. And I want to get to stand there with Isaiah. Wow. I mean, if you're ever discouraged in life, just go read the Isaiah 40s, the chapter 40s, 41 through, you know, 47, 48. Just go read them. The dude was oh, unbelievable in hearing the voice of the Lord and prophesying and preaching. Jesus quoted him. How am I going to compare with Isaiah? But by the blood of Jesus, I get to. I can walk right up there and say, hey, Isaiah, how you doing? I've told you all this story, but years and years ago when I was going through Bible school, they put me on the board of directors. And uh, one of the guys on the board of directors used to be a model for men's GQ magazine. Seriously. So it's after lunch, and we're sitting there, and I'm sitting in the chair, and I got a toothpick in my mouth, rolling around in my mouth, playing with it, and minding my own business, sitting across the table from Mr. GQ. And uh, in a minute, he just, in the middle of the meeting, he just stood up. He was just angry, and he just stood up, and he says, My God, would you take that toothpick out of your mouth? I said, Really? I said, This little toothpick, it irritates you that much? And he said, Yes. I said, Okay. Put it back in my mouth. But here's this man judging me the whole time. What kind of a redneck cowboy am I doing being able to sit on the board of directors of a Bible school? And who am I to be doing this? You know, look like I do and, and not shapely and in a suit and ready to be as a model. Hello? Because that's what he was doing. He was judging me and saying I don't cut the mustard. Right? I'm glad that's not going to happen in heaven. I'm glad the blood of Jesus is over my life, and I don't have to worry about that. You follow what I'm saying? That's how you are. The blood came over you and made you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight, and you've been forgiven much. So those people that have been forgiven much love much. We ain't got time to throw rocks. That was a good place to say amen. You ain't got time to go picking up rocks. I don't got time to go be throwing rocks at you because I don't want to get off. I don't want to get under the curse. I don't want to be influenced by the devil. I want to stay over here and the one that forgave me much, and I'm just so glad I'm in the family. I'm going to stay there right at his feet, and I don't care what happens. Call me an idiot. Call me a buffoon. Call me whatever. It ain't going to make any difference because I'm over here and the one who loved me. That's why I said this morning when I went outside and I looked up at the heavens and I was like, <laughs> ah, this is the kind of thing my daddy does in his off time. Y'all with me? It is off time. Didn't, it didn't say it took God millions of years to make the stars. He spun this whole world in six days. And my daddy puts the stars in the skies. I'm telling y'all, if, if you're not an early riser, you should at least be a late sleeper. Or no, how is that? Go to bed late so you can stay up after it's dark and look at the stars. Lately, they've been unbelievable. And to see that vastness, wow, that's your daddy. That's your daddy that did that. And he loves you and he forgave you much. And so, folks, it's time as, as Christians, we be like, like Peter said over in John 6, 68. Where are we going to go, Lord? You got the words to eternal life. Who wants to go serve? Listen, I saw one time a God in India that you had to take as a sacrifice to it, milk. And they poured milk in this thing, and if the milk came running out the, the, the critter's eye, 
then you were blessed. And it might run out or it might not. Do you want a God like that? Or do you want a God who says, look, if you believe me and you'll walk in love like I walked in love, like I am the son of the living God and I went to the cross for you and I laid my life down and I let them spit on me and I let them beat me and I let them whip me. I let them crucify me on the cross. I let my blood go down and pour down to, for each and every one of y'all. I did that because I just loved you and I wanted you in the kingdom and it was the only way you were going to get in was by my blood. Oh, I'll follow Jesus any day. Hello, I'll follow Jesus any day. Don't tell me nothing about my Jesus. He saved me. He delivered me. He set me free. He brought me into the kingdom. He forgave me of my sins. He washed me. He cleansed me. I don't want to go anywhere else but with Jesus. Amen? I don't got time to pick up rocks and throw them. I don't have time to get off over into the curse and be trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. I want to serve the Lord all the days of my life. I want to see the end time revival come in and people being healed and set free and blessed and, and God moving and doing unbelievable things. I've already come to the revelation that John 15 says that Jesus is the vine and I'm just the branch and if I don't have him, I'm going to wither and die. I saw the other day, I was pulling through my gate and I saw, I don't know, the last windstorm, whenever it came through, broke a limb up on an oak tree and I hadn't noticed it, but now the leaves are dead. So when I drive in and I looked over, I said, look at that limbs broke over there on that tree because it's all dead. And that minute that I said that, I remember John 15, man, you're the vine, I'm the branch. That's what's going to happen to me. That'll happen to me right there, Lord. I'm just going to break over. If there's no vine, I'm not attached to the vine. I'm just going to wither and die. I don't want to be that person. I've already been in the world. I've already lived in the world. I've already seen what the world had to offer. It had nothing. But Jesus, on the other hand, oh, man, my daddy makes stars. And see, it doesn't make any difference because your desperation doesn't have to do with your wealth. Think about this. I know, I know a lot of people who have a lot of money, but that doesn't mean they're happy. That's not what you're looking for. You're not looking for... The lotto win. Financial success. That's not what you're looking for. Listen to me. That's not going to make you happy. Oh, it'll be a fun time in the old town not for a little bit. <laughs> win you a billion dollars in the lotto. Yeah, you can go nutso for a little bit. But it's not going to make you happy. No matter what you do, you surround yourself with a house and you're still lonely. Surround yourself with all the, the toys and the trinkets and everything you want in life. You'll still be lonely and miserable. There's only one person can fill the void in your heart. That's Jesus. Proverbs 12, 27 says, A lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is a man's precious possession. Diligence. In other words, to be able to, to stick with it, to stay desperate, to keep yourself hungry for the Lord all the time is your greatest possession in life. To not get sidetracked. To not get off. Just love him. Because he loved you and forgave you much. Wow. <laughs> Woo, I don't know about y'all. That makes me happy every time I say it out of my mouth. To think that I'm forgiven. There's no, I'm not going to get to heaven and then I'm going to say, okay, now we need to pull the records on you. That's what I'm so sad about in the world. When I see people getting off, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? 
Why are you going to go down that path and get over there and be religious and crazy and tormented down that path to go do that because you think it's better? Why don't you stay over here in liberty and, and freedom and joy and the, the love of the Lord? Proverbs 9, 10, and 11 says, fear the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and the years of your life will be added to you. Being desperate for the Lord and staying with Him, it's what keeps us alive. Now, I've, I've preached this message about the supernatural, and I'm, I'm just doing this one for this week, and then I'm coming back with more of that, because I really feel like, you know, the Bible says in the book of Revelations that there's this time period where God's going to roll the skies back like a scroll. And I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I have my own imagination, you know. I'm like he's going to pull the blind back and say, boo, you know. And all the people that said there was no God are going to tell, ah! But they actually say, no, put rocks, throw rocks on us, hide us in the caves. We don't want to see you. That's stupid. You know he's real, then why are you hiding from him? Anyway, it's another message. But I just believe that we as Christians, when you get hold of the revelation of what's going on, that the veil, there was a veil in the temple between the Holy of Holies and the, the, just the holy court where the showbread was and on the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. That veil, I believe, represents the natural into the supernatural. And I think that veil is very thin. You hear what I'm saying? The veil that was in there, it took 12, they said if 12 yoke of oxen got on each side of it, they could not tear it. It was that thick of material, that veil. But I think the veil from the supernatural into the natural is really pretty thin. All it takes is your love and your faith in Jesus, and you can go through it. The Bible says that hope is what, in Romans and Hebrews 6, hope is what goes behind the veil. And as you get to this place in your life that you know you're forgiven, you know you're saved, you know you're loved, you're not busy picking out rocks to throw, getting caught up in the, the, the junk of the world. And you're just sitting there having your time with the Lord, and you're just so happy to be there, and you're just like a kid in a candy store. And Man, this is great. I get to be a part of this group, and, and I'm in heaven and all, and you're desperate. You just know, Lord, I can't live without you. Lord, don't leave me. i got to have you. And you start to live like this, and I believe the veil gets thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. And then you're... Your hope that's going beyond the veil, it's just really thin. It's just right there because you're there. Are y'all following me? You're there. Now, the last thing I got to say is simply this. Have you, no, <clears throat> let me back up. If you have been throwing rocks, do not let the devil take this message, twist my words, the words of the Holy Ghost, twist them and keep you in a place of feeling guilty. Okay? Don't do that. Because that's of no use. That's just going to keep you over in the curse. What you do is the greatest thing that he ever gave us in life. It's called repentance. Remember playing Monopoly? You had to get out of jail free card? Repentance is your get-out-of-jail-free card. It does cost you because when you repent, you really need to be sorry for what you've done. 
But I can't believe anybody listening to my voice this morning that are you hearing this message going out that you couldn't catch the revelation of, man, we, we're like that woman. And we've been forgiven much, and so we love much. And Jesus, you got me in the kingdom, and ooh, I'm right where I need to be. And so if you need to repent, what you simply do is repent. Which means you stop and you recognize what you've been doing. Lord, I've been throwing rocks. Forgive me. The Bible says that when a person repents, they're forgiven. So let's say you're a pretty good professional rock thrower. And you have a pretty good size, a pretty big bag full of rocks that you carry with you all the time. Arm yourself every day to be ready to throw rocks. What you do is, now you have to recognize that. You repent for being a rock thrower. Lose the bag, and then when you start reaching for that bag again, stop and say, Lord, whoop, no, wait, wait, wait. I repent, Lord. It's a life. You've got to get yourself out of the habit of being a rock thrower. Okay? I can understand. I wish I could. I wish I had the... I wish I could just come up here and tap you in the head with a rock and then you never threw one again. That'd be really cool. You never even got into that. You just walked in love all the time. Love you, brother. Right? But I can't do that. It takes our, our working. Amen? So what I want you to do is you're going to have to, have, you're going to, have to learn to repent. So you remember when I taught you about the dead flies and about how, you know, I, I heard people telling me all the time you can't quit thinking. Every time you see a fly, you think about that dead fly message. I gave you this rock because I think you should do something with it. I think you should put this thing somewhere where it reminds you, whether it be in your vehicle or in your house or on your bed or glue it to your head, whatever you might need to do no matter how extreme, to remind yourself and, and, and remember this message. Amen? Because it's life-changing. I'm telling you. Now, what I want you to do is just put your Bible up and hold your rock and stand up, please. I don't know about y'all, but I feel happy. I'm happy. I at least preach myself happy. So I hope y'all are, are, are there, too. Everybody out there listening and watching, I hope you you're, you preach yourself happy. Um, those of you out there listening and watching, go outside after this message is over with. Find you a rock out in your yard and write John 8, 7 on it. That's what all of ours say. It says John 8, 7. That's the story where Jesus was uh, with the woman who committed adultery. And so, uh, and make your own reminders there. And, uh, but I'm going to just lead us through a prayer. Your faith is with me, then you're going to get free. Amen? So let me pray. Father, I just pray right now over everyone in here. I pray, oh, Heavenly Father, that right now this message is sealed in their hearts. I know that the enemy wants to come and steal it immediately, but I tell you, devil, you've lost them. I plead the blood of Jesus over this congregation, over everyone listening and watching. I just declare, Lord, right now that the blood of Jesus speaks over their life, that they are people that are forgiven. They are people that are saved. They are people that are hungry for you. They are people that are desperate for you. And so, Lord, I pray right now that those out there listening and watching that don't know you, Lord, they'll call out on the name of Jesus and be saved. The ones in here, Lord, God, that we know we are, we're, we're pretty good professional rock throwers. 
Lord, we got bags of rocks and a surplus of bags of rocks at the house. Lord, right now, we just declare we don't want any bags. Right now, we've severed the ties of our bags that we have that have the rocks in them. We declare that we are not going to be stone throwers. We're not going to be rock throwers, Lord, in life. We are not going to go forth and, 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 and enter into the curse, but we're going to live under the blessing. We're going to live under forgiveness. We're going to live under this place called repentance, Lord. We're going to live in this place where we have been forgiven much, and we love you much and be desperate people for you. Desperate, Lord. Desperate for your love. Desperate for walking with you. Desperate for, for having the power of the Holy Ghost flowing in our life. Just be desperate for you. And so, Lord, I declare today's a new day. I declare today's a breakthrough day over people's lives. I declare today, Lord God, that they'll never, ever, ever, ever be the same because this message is sealed in our heart. Every time they look at that rock, there'll be conviction in their hearts. Every time, Lord God, they see a rock, they're going to think about it. And, Lord, I just give you praise for it. I thank you for it, Lord. And, Lord, I just ask you right now to bless them exceedingly, abundantly, beyond they could even thank or ask. Lord, bless them in all of their adventures. Bless them in everything that they got their hands to, Lord. And I declare that in these next 14 months, this church is going to be the most amazing church. Lord, we're already amazing, but you're going to flow through us like we've never seen before. And Lord, we give you praise for it, and we give you thanks for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, church. And if you're on the prayer team this morning, come on down. Maybe somebody needs some more prayer.